0: The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Uh, please remain s- uh, standing and turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 19. We continue continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew. This morning we'll be considering verses 1-1. Through 12, page 824, if you're using the Pew Bible, Matthew chapter 19 and verses 1 through 12. I invite you to pay careful attention to this. Worship the Lord as you do. This is his word, the word of God. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray together again. Heavenly Father, how we bless you and praise you for your word, the Holy Scriptures. Grant, Lord God, as as we receive it again this, this morning, that we might receive it indeed as it is the word of the true and living God by your spirit would you come to us and guide us uh, preserve us Lord God on that path unto everlasting life to which you've called us by the grace of Jesus Christ it's in his name we do pray amen please be seated Well, folks, we are, uh, we're almost two weeks into it. It's, it's June 11th. That means it's day 11 of LGBTQ plus Pride Month, right? We have, we're uh, in the middle of a month of parades, protests, drag performances, and so forth. We're in the middle of a month in which our, the, the society is thrusting upon us a radical call a radical call not only to accept, but, well, to take pride in, to celebrate the rejection of all traditional morality. We're being told that, that our attitude, our thinking, even our conduct regarding marriage, the family, sexuality, even gender itself, it all needs to change. This is part of an ongoing call for revolution, well, brothers and sisters, while Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he, was, he too was calling for something of a, a revolution, albeit in the, the total opposite direction, ethically speaking. Jesus was calling for movement not away from God, not in rebellion against God. He was calling for radical, radical devotion to the Lord in view of his kingdom. So this section, in, in this section of Matthew's Gospel, As one writer, R.T. France, puts it, they, Christ's disciples, are confronted by increasingly unsettling challenges to their conventional attitudes and values, especially as these relate to family and social life. He suggests that that's really what's going on in this entire section, 19.3 until chapter 20, verse 28. I'm also going to speak to the, the, the purpose of the two verses of our text this morning. But the words of my sermon title are the, the same as the, the heading of France's very helpful commentary section on verses 3 through 12. And he suggests that what we were seeing is the revolutionary values of the kingdom of heaven. And that involves what he calls the the re-education of those who belong to the kingdom. That's us, the disciples of the kingdom. And that's what we see in our text today as Jesus addresses particularly such matters as marriage, divorce, and celibacy. Our message this morning is this. We see Christ's radical kingdom call with respect to marriage, divorce, and celibacy. Some of the content in our passage this morning is very similar to what we saw back in chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, 5.31 and 3.2. 19.9 is almost exactly the same as 5.32. I'm not going to repeat in every detail, but I will, uh, find, will find it helpful to remind ourselves of and build on, upon what Pastor Holst showed us in that sermon then, the Christian marriage and divorce. As we look at our text, I do want us to note three things about the radical kingdom call of Christ with respect to these things. And, and these points are going to overlap this morning But as we unpack this. But we will see that it is a call for complete reorientation. And it's, secondly, it's a call for a change of heart. And then thirdly, that it is a call for contentment and sacrifice. So that's what's before us. Consider first then its call for complete Reorientation, the radical call upon those who would receive the kingdom is a call unto radical and complete reorientation. Now on this point, we can point out about verses 1 and 2 that they are kind of a separate section. I didn't want to preach an entire sermon on those first two verses, but they do reflect such an important theme which is running throughout this entire narrative. This is the fourth time Matthew writes essentially the same words we see in verse 1 there, and when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away. Or sometimes it's he departed, that kind of language. We see that same formula in chapter 7, chapter 11, chapter 13. And so again and again, Matthew's reminding us or he narrates how Jesus, he teaches, he, he speaks these sayings. And then he goes away. And it's not just that he's going off, running away just anywhere. No, he's on a journey. He's going to, to a specific Place. He continues his journey. Remember that Jesus is on his journey to the cross. So we're entering this morning, we're entering the final phase of the journey. We are, as verse 1 tells us, we're leaving Galilee behind. We are entering the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. We're approaching Jerusalem. His death is imminent. And as we've seen, of course, he's been teaching his disciples that this is about not only his death. He said, anyone who would follow me, come after me, let him take up his cross as well. This is about their death, the death of his disciples. I'm going to die. You be ready to die. How fitting then that, that even on the journey, he's in a sense calling them to put to death their thinking with radical re Orientation in the context in which he does so. Here, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they test him with that question of verse three: "Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause?" Recall how we learned that there were there are different there were different uh, Jewish schools of thought regarding how to interpret Deuteronomy chapter twenty four verse 1 in Moses' words about a husband who would who, who finds some indecency in his wife such that she no longer uh, finds favor in his eyes what constituted indecency the shammai school argued that divorce was permissible but only when there was a very serious transgression the hillel school was much more lenient to them even burning your husband's bread well that was that was grounds for divorce. This was a hot topic, no matter how Jesus answered the question, he was bound to make enemies for himself. And the danger was was not only hostility from the Jewish teachers, but even from Herod the king. Remember what it was that got John the Baptist killed? It was when he spoke out against Herod's unlawful marriage. Maybe that was the goal of these these Pharisees here in in testing Jesus, get him trouble with with the people and or especially even with Herod the king well jesus was was not afraid to speak the truth here; he was not trying to win a popularity contest, and obviously he would not shrink away from his call unto death. He was not afraid of losing his life. but talk about reeducation reoriented. The thinking. Rabbi Shammai may have been closer to the truth than Hillel, but Jesus did not side with either school. I think, in a sense, he was saying, basically, you're all wrong here. Friends, just think about those words in verse 4. We've heard similar, similar words to this, where he says, Have you not read? Have you not read? What an insult to those who, who fancied themselves experts in, in, in the law and those who were keeping it jot in tittle. Pastor Hall showed us how they, they were wrongly focusing on the, the mechanism of divorce, giving a certificate, rather than the ground of divorce, when divorce is permissible. It's kind of like as, as long as you give that certificate, you can divorce for just about anything at all. He showed us how they, they perverted God's law and they'd set up their own Commandments such that it had been, become really an, a, an abusive, male dominated society where, where women were oppressed under the abuse of authority, the rule of men who would divorce them for any reason at all. Well, here we see that, that even in, insofar as they did focus on the question of the ground of divorce, Jesus really reorients them in the way of saying, You're starting out in the wrong place. They're thinking about Moses in Deuteronomy. Jesus takes them all the way back to the, the writing of Moses in the beginning. And roll your by a few more pages back in your Bible, right, or in your scrolls. He takes them back to first things, first principles. He's saying, "Don't begin." By, with a focus on legislation regarding when divorce is permissible. Don't, don't begin by focusing on situations where sin has already broken the marriage covenant. Go back to the place where there was no sin. Go back to, 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 to thinking about God's good creational design for marriage. Jesus takes them back to, back to the Garden of Eden, back to Genesis, back to creation. Oh, how desperately, we need to go there. How desperately our our society needs that message today. We live in a world which now takes pride in the obliteration of gender distinctions. And we see that Jesus reminds them in verse four that the God who created them from the beginning made them male and females, two genders. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And marriage was to be between one man and one woman. In verse 5, Jesus cites Genesis two twenty four. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he reminds them of who ought to marry, a man and a woman. But he also speaks significantly to how long marriage ought to last, that God created marriage to be an indissoluble Union, an institution, whereas verse, verse 6 says, the two become one flesh, never to be torn apart. Jesus says at the end of the verse, that what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Two individuals. Of course, they remain separate individuals, but what a powerful metaphor we have for depicting for how the two are permanently joined together. It's like they're glued together, welded together. We ought to be greatly concerned about the blurring of gender distinctions and gender roles in our society today, but we ought to be equally burdened by the widespread assumption that no one can actually expect marriage to last for life the teaching of Jesus of course is just just worlds apart from that of our our modern society but amazingly it was quite foreign to the Jewish world in which he lived some have suggested that that in Jesus day for Jewish men again women were oppressed this was only true for men For men, it was even easier to get a divorce than it is for us today in our modern secular society, even with our low view of marriage today. That should shock us. Well, we can praise God. That it was into to such a broken world where sinners are trampling all over God's good creational order and his institutions that the kingdom of heaven had broken in and the kingdom, the king was rightly calling for complete reorientation. The, the kingdom had broken in and he was really calling for a breaking of hearts and, on the, and the, along the same line that brings us to our second point about the radical kingdom uh, the radical kingdom call of Christ, that it was a call for a radical change of heart. Jesus exposes the real problem here, doesn't he? As the old saying goes, the, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And so in verse eight, our Lord tells these Pharisees, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. Interesting that he says, Your hardness of heart, right? They might be saying, Well, why are you the point, pointing the finger at us, Jesus? We weren't there back when Moses wrote these things, when he gave this command. They might rather have wanted to uh, distance themselves from that original rebellious wilderness generation and perhaps even from the next generation, their children, to whom the book of Deut- Deuteronomy first came. But of course, we know that that there's a sense in which uh, Israel, Old Covenant Israel, stood together as one people, and they stood together condemned as that hard-hearted nation who ultimately broke covenant with the Lord. Jesus spoke these words knowing that the the Old Covenant would soon come to an end. And these Pharisees, well, they, they just epitomized the reason for its tragic end What a powerful indictment. You think about that language, hardness of heart. It calls to mind Pharaoh, who who hardened his heart against the Lord. Is Jesus not basically saying, in in your conduct with respect to marriage and divorce, you are showing that not only are you no different than your rebellious fathers who perished in the wilderness, but you're no different from Herod, uh, uh, sorry, from, from Pharaoh, from Pharaoh, the hard hearted tyrant who, from whom your, your, your fathers needed to be delivered. We, you know, the truth this morning is, is, is that divorce indeed came because of hardness of heart. Well, ultimately, that, that speaks to, to Israel's history, right? Israel played the harlot. Israel was the unfaithful bride. Israel committed spiritual adultery, which led them to the place where at last the Lord handed them a, a, gift certi- a, a, a certificate of divorce and sent, her, sent them away. Truly, legislation regarding divorce came only because of hardness of heart. Were it not for hard-hearted sinners, uh, there never would have been any need for Divorce but that hardness of heart was further reflected in the fact that the people were misusing the scripture to justify divorce for any and every reason. In some ways, I I suppose what they were doing is, is kind of akin to what you and I sometimes do. At least I do it. You can judge for yourselves whether you do this as well. I think sometimes we decide, here's what I really want to do. Here's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to go to the scriptures and I'm going to find that what I'm doing must be justifiable from the word of God. I'll find the scripture that, that, that condones what I want to do. We find our proof text proof text to, to justify our conduct. Even the Shammai school, even though they were less lenient about when divorce was, was allowable, even for them, that they were the way in which they were approaching divorce— is that they were misusing the scriptures by using divorce as a means of breaking, unlawfully breaking the marriage covenant. And by, by contrast, what Jesus was saying you ought to be doing, what Jesus was advocating was divorce of a me, as a means of formally recognizing when the marriage covenant truly already had been broken by the offending party. And, and note this. We see this, all, saw this also in the Sermon on the Mount, but, but Jesus did so, Jesus taught this, not only by properly interpreting Moses, he certainly did do that, but more than that, he really was rightly asserting his own immediate divine authority. Don't miss that in verse 9, and I say to you, as true True God, the God-man, the Messiah, his words were every bit as authoritative when he spoke them on earth as they were when he spoke the law, as they were when he spoke even back at creation. And he says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Note that. But by divorcing without Without proper grounds, such as adultery, and then remarrying, they were actually committing the sin of adultery by remarrying. This is one of the texts which, which help us understand the biblical teaching in our confessional teaching on the true grounds for divorce being adultery and desertion, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, it's not always completely easy to know what exactly fits into those two categories. And we know that there is a place. It's not the starting place, but there is a place for asking the question, has the marriage covenant been broken here? Is divorce permissible? We obviously aren't going to go back into all of the uh, the, 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 the arguments like Pastor Holt show, uh, showed us last time and getting every, all that's involved in answering that that question in every instance. But to our point here, these Pharisees, they were, they were so far off in their efforts to address that question. Even the question itself was ill-motivated. It was mixed together with their, their murderous hatred of Jesus himself. And it so powerfully reveals Israel's sin. And it so powerfully reveals our sin. What we are by nature is Israel. And her sin is a picture of what you and I are by nature without Christ. Our hearts were hard, every bit as hard as those who march in the Pride Month parades. Hardened hearts. We needed a change of heart, and we needed not just a new uh, a change of heart, we needed a new heart, that new heart which comes by the grace of the Messiah. The beauty of the gospel this morning is that into this world where, where hard-hearted sinners uh, march and rebellion against the God who created us, male and female, we, we, we trample all over his sacred institution of marriage, into this world, the Savior came. We might say that that Jesus himself marched. He was marching in perfect obedience. He was marching not in rebellion against God, but in perfect submission to his will. And he progressed resolutely all the way to the cross where he died. He bled and died for sinners like you and me. Friends, this is good news. This is good news for sinners. This is good news no matter how great your sin, even if maybe you've gone through the terrible pain of a divorce and maybe you were the one primarily responsible for causing all of the terrible pain. What good news this morning that there is grace and that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And by the way, lest we misunderstand and, and misapply our Lord's words here, I would remind us of how we should understand a situation where there has been a history where there's, there's been an unlawful divorce, which has led to the sin of adultery by means of, of entrance into another marriage. It's good for us to acknowledge our past sins, but, but, but this does not mean that we should sort of conceive of every present relationship as, as potentially now being the uh, relationship or uh, being in a state of ongoing adultery and not true marriage. That's not what Jesus says. Note those words he uses in verse 9, and marries another. Those words, and marries another, implies that the second marriage, though it begins with adultery, it is still a marriage. All that to say is we, we can't in every instance go back and, and change the past. What we can do is we can press on today in our current circumstances. Press on in the grace of Christ. And oh, what marvelous grace that is. Grace for sinners. Grace that frees us from living with guilt from the sins of the past. Even if you went through a divorce and you were 100% the guilty party, Jesus was going, Jesus went to the cross so that you could be 100% forgiven. And if you are trusting in him, indeed you have been forgiven all of your sins, washed away by his blood. And he's made you to be an heir of a kingdom where there's no guilt, and a kingdom where there's no hardness of heart. A kingdom, a world where the hearts of men and women, all of God's children, will be hearts of perfect Love, love for God, love for one another. What a world, what a kingdom. And and those who are the heirs of that kingdom understand then the radical call to forsake this world, its values, and its principles for its sake, for his sake, the sake of the king. That brings us to our last point this morning about this call, that it is a, a call for contentment and sacrifice. A radical kingdom call for radical contentment and sacrifice as those who belong to this kingdom. Brothers and sisters, what would you do this morning for the sake of this kingdom? Would you be content to live your entire life as a eunuch? Would you be willing for the sake of this kingdom to make that great sacrifice? I really think that that's a question which confronts every one of us by the last section of our text this morning. We see in verse 10 that the disciples' response to Jesus' a teaching on, on on marriage and divorce is, is kind of like making a joke. It's like they joke and say, wow, it'd be, be never better never to marry, better never to be married than to be bound to some wife with no possibility of escape. You, you know, to understand that the humor behind a comment like this, we need to understand that in Jewish society for men... Celibacy was really not considered much of a valid option. The widespread assumption was that every, every man saw marriage as a given, really an obligation. And so the disciples' comment, better not to marry, really was not sincere or serious. This was sarcasm. Well, Jesus responded to their sarcasm with some serious, sobering instruction. We do well to hear this morning. The word eunuch can serve as a metaphor for a person who has chosen, or a metaphor for a person living a celibate life. I do think that's the case in verse 12, where Jesus speaks of of those who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of. Of the kingdom, is our Lord saying that's a good thing? Well, he's he's certainly not advocating self mutilation, no, no more than he was calling for the literal gouging out of one's eye, as we saw it in chapter five, and again in chapter eighteen. Uh, Jesus sometimes he speaks using metaphors, and here this is a, a metaphor for the choice to be celibate. Now, in the ancient world, males were sometimes forcibly made into literal eunuchs. It was done so that, so that kings could trust them when serving among their harems and so forth. But nowhere, nowhere does God's law condone such forced mutilations. Biblically, of course, we would see this as a horrific evil, just as we, we would see these so-called gender affirmation surgeries which are taking place today. But this was a reality in the days of Christ. And so backing up a bit in that same verse, verse 12, Jesus spoke of those who have been made eunuchs by men. And before that, he spoke of eunuchs who have been so from birth. That speaks to to those who are born with some sort of physical defect such that they are unable to engage in marital relations, unable to reproduce. Of course, all three categories of eunuchs, Whether by birth, whether by force, or whether by choice, all wonderfully, by the grace of God, they were welcomed into the kingdom of Christ. We think about the, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. But in teaching about the kingdom here, Jesus really, really was focusing on that voluntary choice of celibacy, making oneself a eunuch as it were, choosing celibacy for the sake of of the kingdom. And again, I think the underlying question here is this is the kingdom really worth that kind of sacrifice? You see the the, the the disciples they've kind of expressed doubt about the value of the kingdom, doubt about whether the kingdom is really worth even persevering in a troubled marriage. Is it really worth remaining with the wife of your youth, difficulties notwithstanding? Being faithful to your marriage vows. Remaining in your marriage covenant. Is the kingdom worth that? And it's like at least in this perhaps weak moment or foolish moment, the disciples are really doubting whether it was. They basically say it'd be better not to even marry. And again, on that point, it's the kind of bluffing in some ways. Everyone knows that that's not a serious option. Surely the kingdom is not worth that surely no one could ever be called to such. Well, Jesus calls their bluff. Actually, there have been, and there will be those who live celibate lives for the sake of the kingdom. It may have been a great rarity among the Jews but keep in mind the one glaring exception was the one who was standing right there speaking to them these very words to think that the, the greatest the most faithful the only perfect Jew who ever lived is one who lived a celibate life he made that sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom it was part of his perfect sacrificial obedience He made that sacrifice for us, that we might be his kingdom people. And Jesus was calling his disciples, and he calls you and me this morning to see in him and to to, to perceive the value of the kingdom, to perceive the value of Christ himself and what he was doing, and to understand that there is no sacrifice not well worth making for his sake and the sake of his kingdom. This is part part of the radical kingdom call of Christ. Reorients our thinking, changes our hearts. He gives us those new hearts, hearts upon which by his spirit he writes the kingdom commandments and he enables us. Yes, for those who are married, husbands and wives, he enables us to persevere in our marriages, not only with contentment, but with Christ's self-sacrificial Love. And for those single, he enables you to be to content, content with your current circumstances as a single. Uh, singles, you are not second class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps some of us view our singles that way. If we see them that way, we need to reorient our thinking this morning. It's contrary to the teaching. Of our Lord. Indeed, there are those who choose to remain single for the sake of the kingdom. That's what Jesus did. I think our text is speaking to those who are called to follow Christ in that particular way, as most interpret verse 11, and I agree with this. The saying there refers specifically to those who who choose not to marry. And the disciples spoke the words sarcastically, better not to marry, but Jesus took those very words and he spoke truth. Jesus says in verse 11, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. And then then, then the end of verse 12, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is the gift of singleness or celibacy. The Apostle Paul had this gift. He spoke, mentions it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 7. And again, there's, there's application today, even for you who are single, though not necessarily by choice. You've not chosen, I want to make myself a king, eunuch for the kingdom, for life, as it were. Maybe you desire marriage, but in God's providence is not yet Happen, and it's, it's good to desire that. It's good to to pray for and seek marriage. But in the meantime, until that happens, God has called you to singleness. And we should, we should keep in mind this morning that even for those of us who are married, fifty percent of us will at one point be single again. You know, unless in God's providence the Lord returns, or or we die together with our spouse in, a, in a, a car crash or something like that. Unless that happens, there's a very good chance that you will at some point be single. So singles, the Lord, according to his perfect will and his kingdom purpose, he has you as you are and where you are in his kingdom such that you might serve him as he deems best. And it's his will that you be content and that you serve him in holiness and purity and love and self-sacrifice and that you count yourself blessed so to do in the kingdom of Christ. Indeed, that's the radical kingdom obedience to which every one of us this morning is called. What a contrast. What a contrast with the world, which is is currently taking pride in in the unbridled gratification in any and every form of sexual expression. Brothers and sisters, let Pride Month month be a month in which we're well reminded of how blessed we are to belong to Christ. Our hearts ought to be broken with compassion to a, a world that's so lost in terrible sin. Think about what Christ has done for us. Jesus not only has taken us back to the purity and the the holiness of the Garden of Eden, as wonderful as that was, Jesus has taken us beyond that. He's taken us to the, 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 the paradise of the redeemed, the kingdom of glory, where we will be with him forever and ever. So let us then heed the radical kingdom call, and by his grace, let us walk in radical kingdom obedience. Let's pray together. would you help us gracious and loving father so to do father we pray that you would forgive us this morning for all of our hardness of heart and grant lord god yes in our marriages and yes in our lives of singles and indeed in all that we do grant O oh lord that we might know the kingdom power and the grace of jesus christ the very one who dwells in our hearts by faith help us lord god uh, to walk faithfully as he did help us lord god as we continue on that path Unto heavenly glory to which you by our grace, by your grace, have called us. We bless you and we praise you for it. Give us grace, Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of, of such grace. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.